0: Well, as a dad, uh, I know one of the things that is important is protecting your kids. If you're a good dad, you feel at least that urge, that desire to protect your children, right? I mean, most of us do. But sometimes we don't come through the way that we hoped we would have as a dad. I certainly had fallen into that before. And uh, I remember being, uh, we'd go every now and then to Colorado to camp and so the kids are probably five, six, seven years old, and we're going up to Durango, Colorado to camp out. We're at this KOA, and we are camping there. We set up the tent, and we went on a walk, and on our walk, we noticed this big field, mountains kind of rising up from the field. It was this beautiful, picturesque moment, just kind of angelic, you know, and in the field were these horses. Well, they weren't really horses, they were Shetland ponies. And if you've ever seen those, they're pretty cool. They're kind of like a horse that Bilbo Baggins would ride. And here, I'll show you a picture in case you haven't seen them. Aren't they cute? Yeah. I mean, they have all that fur all over them and that big, that long mane and then the long tail. And they were just beautiful. And there were several of them. We thought, let's go check them out. Nate, uh, he he just loves animals. And so... He wanted to go up and look at them and get really close to them. There was a fence separating us from them. And so as we're walking up to these ponies, I'm like, let's be careful. And I think he had like an apple or something. And uh, we, now the, the thing about these, I don't know if all of them are this way, but this this particular one was, uh, they have some dental issues. Let me show it to you. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it, it's, it's, It's just like they've been snacking on too many sugar cubes. (laughs) The teeth are just huge, though, these big teeth. And so we're walking up to kind of feed this little pony an apple. And Nate, you know, scrawny little kid, reaches in to feed him. And this pony reaches out and just grabs his arm and bites him, takes a chunk out of his arm. He starts crying. I start freaking out, cussing at the pony, you know, throwing things. Demon possessed animal, angelic things gone. It's like it was this chaotic moment that 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 I didn't protect him, and I should have and could have. And I'm so thankful. You're such a better father than me. And isn't that isn't that the hope and the goal of every dad though? You want your kids to outdo you. You want. To see them become better than you were. Uh, Boy, uh, I certainly feel that way. Here we are in a series called Free at Last, studying the letter written by the Apostle Paul. He was a dad. Did you know that? A spiritual dad. He was a spiritual dad, and he was wanting to protect his children, those new converts in Galatia, from the bite of false teaching. He didn't want them to get bit by that. He didn't want them to be deceived into false teaching. So he wrote this Amazing letter called Galatians. And in this letter, he's speaking directly to the Gentile Christians in Galatia. They're newer converts. They're non-Jews, Gentiles. And uh, as I look around, chances are most of us fit in that category. We're probably uh, non-Jews, Gentiles. Maybe several of you aren't even from a religious upbringing. You're not, you don't, you didn't particularly have a lot of that as a kid growing up. And uh, so not unlike, uh, perhaps, those that uh, Paul was writing to. And we, uh, so we can kind of relate to this particular letter. And uh, these are the people that first heard the gospel, and now they're being told by these, some of them were actually false believers that came into the church, and others were just teachers that got deceived, that are telling them, You're not really a bona fide Christian. You you haven't done everything you need to do. Yes, that's great. You believe in Jesus, but you also need to keep the Jewish law in order to be a real Christian. And it's easy for new Christians to kind of be deceived. It's easy for us as we're kind of grounding ourselves in the faith to kind of bite off on something that we hear that sounds good. Or maybe you even look at yourself and you go, man, you know, the the sin in my life or the failures in my life, and we get disappointed. And it's very easy in that disappointment or that sense of failure to kind of withdraw from God's people, to withdraw from scripture, to withdraw from prayer, to withdraw from things. And, And then it's in that place where we disconnect from God's people that we grow the most susceptible to deception. You see, we need each other. And I know some have been hurt in churches before. Maybe you were let down or hurt by a, a Christian leader. Maybe you were hurt in a small group. Um, it's so easy to get disappointed and people, because we have these high expectations, don't we, of, of Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ and especially leaders. And when they let us down, it just hurts. It's easy to go, man, I love God, but I hate the church. And so we can kind of disconnect, and it's in that place, so you've got to be careful because you can get bit really quick through deception and false teaching, because we need each other. There's something about accountability in the church, in God's people, being together, this wonderful expression that we get when we come together and we worship God together, and we pray together, and we listen to God's word together, and then we study the scripture on our own to see if those things are so, and like the Berean Christians, and we're able to kind of grow in our faith, and that's what God wanted for them, in Galatia, that is what God wants for us today. He wants us to live that out, live those truths out. And yet, uh, the tr- the fact is is that you know there's probably nobody that's trying to convert you to Judaism. I get that. They were back then. That was the issue, happening. But the but the reality is is that we live in a in a pluralistic society. We live in a culture. That, that takes a little bit of Jesus and kind of adds and changes and modifies that gospel message to where it is no longer the gospel. You know, that maybe you've heard this before. Man, I'm just living my truth, and you live your truth. And don't judge my truth. Let's just each one live your truth. That's foolishness. Because when it, we go your truth, my truth, your truth, everybody's truth around the world, that's not truth any longer. Truth comes from God. God is the author of truth. He embodies truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so the gospel is a message of God's truth. It's good news. It brings freedom. It brings liberty. It's not, it doesn't bring bondage. And, and so he wants us to know the truth And allow that truth to set us free. We've learned a couple things. Uh, We've studied uh, Galatians 1 and 2 over the last couple weeks. And if I can just remind you of a few of the lessons that we kind of took away from those uh, particular chapters from chapter 1 and 2. First, there are false teachers in the Galatian churches preaching what Paul calls a different gospel. It's not a gospel. Which is... Uh, these false teachers called Judaizers had come into the church and were wanting to add rules and regulations onto their faith. Number two, these Judaizers were upset with the Apostle Paul, and they were accusing him of of making the faith in Christ too easy. Like, you know, you're dumbing it down. You're making it too easy. It needs to be harder. And so they begin to discredit the Apostle Paul's authority as an apostle, saying, you're not really a real apostle. You're kind of like one. But it's the people in Jerusalem. They're the real apostles. And number three, Paul refutes and he defends his apostleship, his leadership, as coming directly from Jesus. Read Acts chapter 9 and you'll see that. He's saying, it wasn't given to me, my man. It was given to me by Jesus. I had an encounter face to face. And so Paul is defending his apostleship. And a matter of fact, he goes to the mat with Peter. He has this throwdown, this moment where Peter, the apostle, the great man of God, is, is actually being a hypocrite. These, these, these leaders from Jerusalem had come into the church and, uh, in uh, Antioch. And, and here uh, Peter is kind of playing both sides of the table. He's wanting to impress these leaders that were reporting to James, the apostle in Jerusalem. And they're, they're devout Orthodox Jews. And they're there in the room, and so Peter kind of withdraws from the other Gentiles, the non-Jews. He doesn't want to eat with them, doesn't want to sit with them. He starts pretending kind of, and the apostle Paul is ticked off. He kind of gets into it with him, and he says, dude, you are being a hypocrite. I've seen how you live. You know, I saw you mowing down on the pork ribs. I know how you are and what you do. You are you, you are not just this that you're presenting to the Jews that are kind of spying on you from Jerusalem. And it was an important moment. I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul had the boldness and guts to do that because it was his own mini-reformation where he's saying, no, Peter, we can't add anything to this gospel which is good news. It's faith in Christ. That's the good news. See, they were saying trusting in what Christ did for you Needed to be supplemented with good works. Needed to be supplemented with the works of the law. And that would then justify you. Make you right with God. The Apostle Paul, he's standing up to this false gospel. Contending that the law is good. Was given for good reason. It's not bad. It shouldn't be thrown away. It's important. It helps us recognize our sin. The law of God helps us. It's like a mirror to the soul, and it helps us to see where we've blown it and how much we need God, how much we need His grace, how much we need forgiveness. It brings you, the law of God brings you to the foot of Christ where we receive grace and mercy. It's in faith, faith in Jesus Christ, in His death, burial, and resurrection that justifies us before God. That's called justification by faith. So here we are now in Galatians chapter 3. If you have a a Bible, open it with me uh, or your phone. Paul lays it out. He asks these rhetorical questions and they are in your face. Get ready. Chapter 1 or chapter 3 verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Paul is saying, you're foolish. Someone has bewitched you. Somebody's come in and cast a spell on you. You know, the most deceived or bewitched people are not those that dabble with demons. They're good people with good intentions that take the gospel and pervert it and twist it and change it and add to it. Because it feels right. It looks right. It's just enough of Jesus that it sounds right. But you can't just believe in the Bible. You have to add this other book that was given, you know, to the special guy that now adds in a new revelation that you also have to believe. And now you you have these new rules and regulations that you're going to need to live by in order to really be a bona fide Christian. If anybody presents to you anything other than the scripture, know that it's deception. And so God is calling us to grow up in our faith, to be on guard, and to understand what it means to come into right relationship with God through his son Jesus and Jesus alone. Sometimes, when talking with people, I'll ask them, What makes you know, how did you become a Christian? And it's interesting the responses I often hear. One of the common responses is, uh, Well, I, I was kind of born a Christian, I was always a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home, and so I'm a Christian. And then another one out here is, well, I started going to church like back in 2001, and so I'm a Christian, you know. Uh, another one is like, well, I'm just trying to be a good person, that I'm just doing the right, I'm trying to do the right thing. I know I mess up sometimes, but I'm just trying really hard to be a good person. Now, all of those are great things, but none of them make you a Christian because all of those depend on what you do. They depend on what I do. They're works. And becoming a Christian is not based on what you do. It's what has already been done on the cross through Jesus, and it's placing our faith in Christ. Paul is asking this rhetorical question. He's saying, you've seen miracles. I mean, these guys guys are Christians. Christians. And they've experienced the Spirit of God in their life, and they've seen miracles happen around them. And he's saying, did, did all those things happen because, like, you got your act together? Because now you're a good person or that you presented, you've you done good things for other people, and so the Spirit of God filled you and is doing miracles? And, of course, the answer is, of course not. So here's the truth I want you to take home. How you started is how you should finish how you started this walk of faith is how you should finish the walk of faith paul said this to the philippians he said and i'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will be will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ he's saying the way the spirit has begun the work in you will happen all the way through your life to the very end of your life when Jesus will bring it to completion. God always finishes what he starts. And he's not finished with you. He's not finished with me yet. But he's at work. The Holy Spirit started a work in you. Softening your heart, changing your mind, transforming your character. And this work started by the Spirit will be finished by the Spirit. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if you look at yourself and you say, I just am not changing that much. I need to change more, I'm not not praying enough, I don't read the Bible enough, I don't go to church enough, I don't do whatever, my behaviors are not lining up with what I think I ought to be doing, I'm not sure that God actually loves me, I'm not sure I'm gonna make it to heaven. Maybe you're just looking too much at yourself and too much at your works and what you do to try and please God versus the fact that God has already justified you if you've received Christ and placed your faith in Christ and Jesus wants you to know that he loves you, that your salvation is not up to you. You didn't earn it to get it and you don't earn it to keep it. God wants you to know that you can relax in his presence, that he has gifts to give you, that he wants to fill you to overflowing and that you are in a marathon, not a sprint. And so when we don't change as quick as we want, we just need to realize that God is still at work. He is growing the fruit of His Spirit in and through your life, and it is the Spirit who will make you more and more like Jesus over time. So when that lying thought comes to you and says, man, you're just not good enough, you know what you need to do? Agree. I'm not good enough. That's why Jesus came. That's why He came to pay for the sin and the penalty of all of our sins on his shoulders at the cross because none of us are good enough. And so we don't try to be good enough to earn God's love and earn his favor and keep him happy. We receive what Jesus did on the cross. We open our heart to the spirit and we walk with Jesus by faith. And it's there that he begins that process of change. Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 8 and 9. Some of you know this by heart. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This is called justification by faith. You are made right in God's sight because of Jesus Because of what he has done and who he is. Not through your good works or good choices or kind acts of charity. And then to drive this point home, Paul in the book of Galatians, he says, here's what I want you to do. Because he's talking to uh, Gentiles, but he's also talking to uh, Jews. And he's saying, I want us to go all the way back to Abraham. And I want to look at Abraham for a moment. Because there's something special about Abraham. That is that God made a covenant with him, a special contract, a promise given to Abraham, the father of our faith. And that promise that was given to Abraham was given to him 430 years before the giving of the law. And so Paul is making this argument, and he's saying, we just need to go back to the original promise. And the original promise, the original covenant given to Abraham is this so? Also, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel. The gospel. We see Jesus in this promise given to Abraham that he would justify the Gentiles by faith. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's saying the law did not change that promise. That covenant, that promise was given, and it stands Again, the law was given 430 th- years later in order to tutor us and be a custodian over us and to point us to Christ and to help us to see our need for a savior. But as, as a person of faith, Abraham, he was justified by his faith. He became right with God because he believed he didn't do anything to earn it. He didn't even have a part to play in this covenant. He's like, this is what I'm, God's saying, this is what I'm going to do, whether you like it or not, whether you fail or whether you succeed, whether you walk with me every day or whether you quit walking, I'm going to do this. God made an oath, and he backed it with his own power and his own integrity. And so we need to realize that as we come into faith in Christ, we enter into that same promise given to Abraham. Let's go back to that last sentence. It says, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Dads, can I say something to you? I want to encourage you. Be a man of faith. Be a man of faith. There's no greater gift you can give to your kids. No greater gift can you give them than being a a man of faith. There's not a better husband you can be than to be a person of faith for your wife. There's no greater legacy that you can leave for your grandchildren than to be a man of faith. A man of faith is not a perfect man. Men of faith make mistakes. Look at Abraham, and you'll see that. They make mistakes. They blow it. They sin. But a man of faith continually goes back to God and asks for forgiveness and walks with God and just believes that God can do it, even where we cannot. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is God's son who died, was crucified, and resurrected? If you do, then you receive this promise that was given to Abraham, and you become a new creation in Christ, and now you're called to be a blessing to the world. That wherever you go to school, wherever you work, Whatever career God may lead you into, it becomes this calling that you are a blessing. You are called to be a blessing to other people. Called blessing to be a blessing. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 says, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous, the righteous will what? They will live by faith. You begin by faith, you walk by faith. You start out in faith, you walk all the way through your life in faith. Galatians 3.14 says he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit that God gives you his spirit out of his abundant heart and his goodness towards you and me. Not because of anything we've earned, not because we have, we've, we've you know, gone through uh, Bible study or because we have graduated from a seminary or because we live a holy life. No, he just gives you his spirit by faith and we become right with God. So let me ask you a question. Maybe some of you are already thinking this. Okay, well, okay, you're emphasizing. The Apostle Paul's emphasizing this thing of faith, justified by faith, 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 not works. Well, James said that you need some works. James said that, you know, faith without works is dead. So who's right, James or Paul? James or Paul, James or Paul, James or Paul? Paul? Both of them. They're talking about different things. Track with me. In Galatians... Paul was fighting the problem of legalism, the problem of, hey, I've got to keep all the Jewish laws and regulations in order to be a Christian. Paul's talking to that group. James is not fighting legalism, but laxity. And those are the people that are saying, you know, you can just kind of live however you want as long as you believe. You can just do whatever you want. Just believe. A do-nothing, give-nothing, love-nobody kind of believer, maybe he's not a believer at all. And they're fighting two different enemies, but they both use the word works, but in different ways. Paul focuses on the root of salvation, what happens to you internally. James focuses on the fruit of salvation, what happens on the outside. Paul's talking about how do you know you're a Christian? James is talking about how do you show you're a Christian. Paul's talking about his passage on faith alone, how to become a believer. James is talking about how to behave like a believer. It's not a contradiction. They actually complement each other. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way. He said, faith comes first, then love follows. You're called. You're called a blessing in order to be a blessing to other people. It starts with that. Faith in Christ. Let me read again Ephesians 2 8 and 9, but I want to add verse 10 this time because often that gets kind of truncated off of verses 8 and 9. Listen again. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so now that's how you become a, a Christ follower, that's how you become a Christian. That's where transformation begins. That's where the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Now, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that awesome? You've been created new in Christ Jesus through faith, and now God has works for you to do. God has an assignment with your name on it. He has a ministry for every single one of us to walk out in this life. And when you walk out the ministry God has for you, it's gonna bring fulfillment to your life, purpose for your future. It's gonna bless other people. And we all have different things that Christ has called us to do, that he figured it out long ago, way in advance. Why? Because you are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece. You were blessed to be a blessing. Maybe you're called to provide hospitality to people who feel on the outside looking in. Maybe you're called into the medical profession to bring healing and health and wholeness to people that are suffering. Maybe, maybe a ministry God has for you is to be a leader in some capacity in the church or in the business world or in government. There's so many ways that God has gifted His people and planned out works for us to do in advance, because he loves you, not to earn his favor, not to keep him happy, but because it's a gift he's given you to do some great things in this world to bless other people. Now let's just skip down to verse 26, Galatians 3. I'm oh. going to bring this in for a landing. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. He's saying who? How many? All. All. Everyone equally welcomed into God's family. We all become children of God through faith in Christ. We've all been baptized into Christ. We all wear the same clothes, Christ. And when people look at you and look at me, We want them to see Jesus, right? We don't want them to see hate or bigotry or anger or greed or lust. We want them to see Christ. He's called our lives to burn bright with the love of Jesus, that we bring light into the dark places. And so that baptism, and by the way, if you've never been baptized, I encourage you, get baptized this summer. August 7th is our next baptism. It'll be at the river. You can sign up for it now. Baptism is this holy expression of your faith. It's public. It's real. It's bold. And it's going to be cold too. (laughs) But you kind of go under the water and you come up out of the water and you're identifying with Jesus that he was buried and he rose again. And, And the Spirit of God Uh, We'll just meet you in that place. It's going to be powerful. And then the scripture, uh, Galatians 3, kind of ends with this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir's according to the promise everyone equally welcomed into God's family in Christ there is not to be any discrimination in Christ there should not be any racial profiling in Christ there should be no subjugation of women in Christ there should be no cultural typecasting in Christ there should be no privilege where the rich dominate the poor All those walls, all those dividing lines come down in Jesus Christ and he's called us to be one, that we are to be equal because in God's eyes we are equal. He is no respecter of persons. We all come to Christ in the very same way. I don't care who you are, what color you are, how much much your net worth is. It doesn't matter. We all come the same way, humble, repentant, desperate, There is no other way to come to Christ. And we open our heart and we have faith in what he's done for us. And it's not because of our color or our culture or our money or our intelligence. And because he's leveled the playing field that we all come to him in the same way and need him in the exact same way. That we now can respond differently to people and to our world. That we can be those that break that dividing wall down between genders, between cultures, between economic standings, and we can truly care for those who are the least of us, those who have been marginalized, those who have been subjugated or oppressed, that we're able to bring liberty and be a part of that work that God is doing. To bring liberty to captives, and I just want to say thank you for being who you are. That so many of you um, have you come here, and you're generous, and you come here because you love reaching out to people, and you come here because you love the diversity that God has put together. That we're all think different, and 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 uh, that there's uh, you know different people in different professions, and some have are no profession at all, and there's moms and dads and children, and we're different, and that's good. I love the fact that we have women pastors, that there's that dividing wall that's been broken down. I love the fact that we have young people who preach the word and old people who preach the word. And we have, we have, we have just different teams made up of different people and that we do our best to love our city and love our world. And think outside the walls of this church and even think outside the walls of Spokane into the uttermost parts of the world. I love the fact that God is working in our city, breaking down denominational walls. That through the PNW movement, something that uh, we are a part of now as a church, we see God using and working in pastors' lives that once were in competition with one another and kind of had these different kind of turfs or territories. And now God is bringing his church together together. And people are working together and giving together and planting churches together. I love seeing where God is bringing his body together as one. Let's keep being an inclusive church. Let's keep inviting people in so they experience the goodness and the grace of God. Because God brings liberty. He brings freedom. And he brings truth. Maybe you're here today, and you've been trying really hard to be a good person so that God will accept you, so that God will save you, maybe, that you know that you're going to go to heaven one day. And you've just been working really hard to do the right things so that you can feel good inside your soul that you're right with God. And the problem with that is that you'll never know if you've ever done enough. So there'll always be this question, have I done enough? And I want to encourage you today. That's a false gospel. Turn away from that and just go to God and just say, Lord, I need you. And I'll stand before you and I'll make it to heaven because of you and what you did on the cross. And I'll have the Holy Spirit living in me, not because I'm worthy of it, but because You are worthy of it, and because you opened the door for that. So would you pray with me right now as we open up our hearts and let God do that. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and we pray, Lord, no matter who we are, where we are, Lord, we all prone to kind of get into this works-based thing where we think we can please you by doing good things. Lord, will you deliver us from that thought? Deliver us from that, God. Help us to see, God, that it is by faith alone in Christ that we become a Christian, that we become saved, that we know that we have eternal life, and it is faith in Christ that we walk it out through the rest of our life. And then you have prepared good works for us to walk in and do. So, Lord, help us get that right in our thinking and help make that right today in our soul. If you're here today and you feel like God has been speaking to you, I want to ask you to pray this along with me, just a, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of humility, to come to Christ in faith and faith alone. Jesus, I come to you. I turn away from all of my works, wanting to justify myself. And I just turn to you, God, and confess, Lord, I am a sinner. And I need you, a Savior. And I need what you have done on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin and to wash me and make me clean and to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Not based on anything I've done, but just based on who you are and what you have done. I open my heart to you today, Jesus. Fill me. Lead me now in a new life of faith that I would walk with you through the rest of this life, knowing that I don't have to keep you happy. Because when you see me, you see Jesus. And you love your son, and so you love me too. Thank you, God, for your goodness and kindness. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Would you come back with me for just a minute, Mike? Well, God just laid something on my heart. Just real quick. Uh, Gentlemen, dads, we have a special gift for you out there. It's ice cold, but don't leave yet. Uh, As Mike was talking, and he was talking about uh, Paul being a spiritual father, God reminded me we have a spiritual father. We have a man who carries the mantle for this church uh, as our senior pastor. He carries the leadership, and he does it really, really well. And I don't think we thank him often enough. So, will you help me thank uh, Mike Mean this morning? And you get the first root beer of the day. There you go. <laughs> well, if you are in need of prayer, we're going to have people right over here under this monitor for prayer uh, or to um, agree with you in prayer. And then if you are new with us, maybe you've been here a couple times, haven't met anybody, I'd love to meet you and just uh, talk a little bit more about how you can get plugged in at North Church. That's right over here. And uh, would you stand up with me together? Dads, don't forget your root beer. Everybody else, we'll see you back next week. Have a beautiful week and God bless.